Hi, I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome. My name is Ashley Smith Thomas, and I am the host of Freedom Talks. The purpose of this show is to educate Americans on key freedom and national security issues that impact our nation. And a national security issue is what we are seeing in Afghanistan right now. Last week, we watched the horrific videos and footage of what was coming out as, as the Taliban had seized control of Kabul, as well as the state of the nation of Afghanistan. We watched our U.S. troops withdraw out. We saw them evacuate U.S. embassy staffers. We see uh, Afghanis trying to get out. And we also are seeing reports that there are Americans still left behind. So what is the future of Afghanistan? What is going on? How did the Taliban get control of Afghanistan, especially since the U.S. has been there for 20 years and then it just crumbled within a matter of days? Today, I have with me a subject matter expert named Ryan Morrow, who is a counterterrorism expert, and I'm thrilled to have him on our show today. Ryan is the director of the Clearing Intelligence Network and a counter-extremism consultant for law enforcement agency and policymakers. Ryan is an adjunct instructor teaching counterterrorism for Liberty University Online. He's a frequent analyst in the media and has done over 2,000 interviews. He has been on Fox News Channel many times as a subject matter expert pertaining to national security and counterterrorism issues. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us what is going on? I mean, last week we watched the, the horrific scenes of what was taking place in Afghanistan, 20 years of hard work, uh, especially after 9-11, and then we just see everything crumble in a matter of days. There's been reports where they um, are basically equating it to what we saw in Vietnam in 1975 with the pullout and evacuating the embassy. Can you share with us what happened and what is it that we are seeing? What is going on in Afghanistan? Basically, what happened was America stopped being America. Um, the, the U.S. stopped living up to its promises, and it stopped acting like a superpower. Heck, it even stopped acting like a moral power at this point. Um, but basically, uh, what you saw happen is that in recent years, the Taliban had gained strength in Afghanistan. So it wasn't really like this overnight thing. And then as the withdrawal was happening, um, as the political process between the United States and the Taliban uh, continued to increase, and we capitulated over multiple administrations um, on this issue. The Taliban gained strength. The morale of the Afghan security forces and Afghan intelligence uh, began decreasing. Uh, the population began becoming scared, very understandably so. Um, and then particularly in recent months under the Biden administration, uh, the Taliban was growing in power. And even though President Biden says like, oh, this was a surprise, it wasn't. It was not. 
um, any of us watching this development in Google News um, and getting alerts saw the trend, which was the Taliban taking over places. And so when we did this withdrawal and got into that last phase, we shouldn't have been surprised that the Taliban by that point had bribed a lot of people saying, we will spare you, what you and your family will spare, plus we'll give you a lot of money if you just disappear or if you order people to disappear as well. And so the Taliban came in and there's a lot of people, including President Biden, who are insulting our Afghan allies, uh, making it sound like they just didn't fight, that they're worthless, that they, that they just don't care about fighting the Taliban. It's not true. My, I and virtually anyone else in that situation, the Afghan security forces, if you realize the Taliban is going to take over, you're not going to fight in some city away from your family. You're going to go home and you're going to defend your family in your home. Uh, that's the priority for everybody is your children. That's really good. And that's something too that I, I wanted to address. I'm glad you brought it up. And the fact that President Biden was insulting our allies. And we've seen this before, particularly with other administrations and other countries in the Middle East. Do you think what happened in, in Afghanistan, what we saw within the past uh, week here, is, is that going to alter our relations with our allies? Do you think that they can take America at her word? Do you think that they can trust us now? Or do you think now this is going to create a mistrust and harm us in the future? Well, everything comes down to the ideological war, which I still feel every administration since 9-11 has failed to understand and actually fight. Now, none of them clear the, the minimum bar for me. But if you look at this as an ideological war between the forces of secular democracy um, or a constitutional republic, whatever you want to call the system of the United States uh, and the West, uh, we are in an ideological war against Islamism, communism, and all of them. But populations around the world, and most Americans don't realize this because they live in the United States, but populations around the world are constantly revising um, what their ideologies are. They're saying, what system works? What's the future? They're still trying to figure things out. And right now, uh, American-style democracy does not look attractive. It does not look moral. It does not look strong. And so this is like an atom bomb going off against us in the ideological war. And there have been many smaller atom bombs uh, over the past you know, 10 years, or actually even much longer than that. But this might be the biggest one. It's going to be hard to recover from this, especially in Afghanistan. But what does give me some optimism is I've been pleasantly surprised that at least on the Internet, in the news columns, in social media, the Afghan disappointment in the United States, their heartbreak, really, it's not even rage, it's heartbreak, mm -hmm. is really directed at the political leadership of the United States and not the American people. Right. So thank God for that. Thank God for that they do see a massive gap between what the United States inherently is and what the American people are and what the American poli political leadership acts like. Because in the past, there's been plenty of times where populations got mad at us over a policy difference and they would condemn the United States as a whole. Uh, and I'm not seeing Afghans do that. That's good because I think a measuring stick that should be used in the future in terms of presidency and our politicians is whether they have any military experience because what ends up happening is when we get these politicians in place who have no military experience, then they make these type of decisions and then it just uh, 
just blows up in their face, basically. But I think in this instance, they were talking about that it was an intelligence failure. They, uh, the Biden administration started blaming our intelligence community. He started blaming our military. He wasn't listening to his generals. He wasn't even listening to those advisors that had came to him warning him of this. Uh, I don't believe that it was intelligence failure because everyone saw it coming. Uh, unfortunately, it was just a failed exit strategy in which he had. Uh, in terms of everything that we just saw here in the past few days, um, I think one of the things that some people are having a hard time understanding from what I'm just seeing on social media is really what is the motive behind the Taliban? Why do they want to control Afghanistan? And I think to your point, when you mentioned ideologically, a lot of people don't understand Islam. So can you explain to us uh, what is going on uh, in terms of the motives of the Taliban to seize Afghanistan? Sure. So within the Islamic world, there are obviously different interpretations of what Islam is and how you should appropriately apply it to governance um, and your way of life in a way that, from their perspective, Allah approves of. So you may have the vast majority, especially in Afghanistan, that have rejected the Islamist ideology, the political Islamic ideology that holds that there should be no separation of mosque and state, uh, and that governance basically comes from the Quran, the Hadith, and Islamic tradition as if it's a political science textbook. Um, Afghanistan and many other places that have experienced what governance under that is like uh, have turned their back against it. Um, and so it becomes a self-defeating ideology, and that assists us in the conflict with it. Um, but in Afghanistan, they don't need to learn that lesson. They are past that point. It's not like Egypt under the Muslim Brotherhood, where there was a plus side to the Brotherhood coming to power because then they had to deliver on their promises and the people got a really quick education as to why you shouldn't want theocratic Sharia governance. But Afghanistan is different. The people already know that. Uh, the average age is 18 years old. It's a young population that wants modernity. Uh, and if anything, they may not grasp um, exactly how backwards the Taliban is going to be, but they know it's bad enough. Um, so that's going to be their understanding. And just like people in any political context, uh, most people are not religious scholars. Most people don't spend all day watching YouTube debates and studies and, and like really get into it. Uh, the big secret of the Middle East is that it's not as religious anymore as people realize. Uh, they're, they will identify as Muslim and they go to mosque because you're part of the community and that's where you see people. And it's what you do and it's a way of giving charity. It's a mechanism for helping other people. Um, but they're not obsessing over the latest fatwa from a sheikh and cutter uh, during the rest of the week. Um, and even those that are very religious, uh, people are naturally attracted to the interpretations that they see as most fruitful and best for their lives. Uh, that, and that's true in, in any faith. If I were to come to a bunch of churches, if I went to 100 churches and I said uh, that, hey, I found a Christian interpretation that allows you to um, have sex before marriage, drink as much as you want, do drugs, um, and free you from, basically let you do whatever you want, uh, I would get popular. I'd be a bad person, I wouldn't be honest, but I, it would get pop, I would be popular. And the same thing will happen in the Muslim world where you have less crazy interpretations like that, like I just cited, where it, as that it becomes popular for people to say, hey, I think there's another way for us to interpret the Quran and what Allah wants us to do, people are going to gravitate towards that. Um, and so that's why there's these different uh, interpretations and 
some people may say, well, I read the Quran and it makes it sound like there's no way for them to not wage jihad against the infidel. Well, it doesn't really matter how you read it. It matters how people there want to read it, how they're reading it, and how they're applying it. Um, but to get to the broader point of the ideological war, that's where this all stems from. Um, the Taliban is not like an enemy army that you meet on the battlefield and you have a land dispute over. Uh, they're a theocratic movement, and so they do not believe in any type of substantive change to their ideology. So the Taliban you fight now is the same Taliban from the early and mid-1990s. Do you see in the situation uh, that's coming out of Afghanistan um, another form of just radical Islam that we saw back in 2014 was ISIS when they came to this global stage. Obviously, in 2011, when President Obama withdrew U.S. troops, it created a vacuum. ISIS filled that vacuum there in Iraq. And then we saw mayhem from 2014 to 2019. Are you concerned that we're going to see a similar situation in Afghanistan in terms of either Taliban or maybe even China filling that vacuum in the region? But also, do you think that we're going to see the extremities of what we saw in Iraq happen here in Afghanistan in the coming days? From the American perspective, it's going to be basically the same. There's little nuances that will be different. Uh, the Taliban uh, is a little bit smarter strategically than ISIS. ISIS's claim to fame was uh, be as brutal as possible. The reason that al-Qaeda and the Taliban are getting their butts kicked by the U.S. is because they've fallen out of favor with Allah. And the reason they've fallen out of favor with Allah is because they have not been as strict and theocratic as they should be. Therefore... ISIS needs to exist. And then when ISIS had success in seizing territory, it was viewed within parts of the Muslim world as they had won the theological argument that Allah had given them the blessing while judging Al-Qaeda and the Taliban for being too moderate. So uh, there will be that push uh, from ISIS to say, oh, well, the Taliban is a bunch of sellouts because they're not being, you know, they're not being extreme enough. But uh, what will probably happen is now that Al-Qaeda and the Taliban have been successful, uh, the, the debate will shift in their direction. The Taliban is more apt to follow the Islamic doctrine of gradualism, uh, which holds that you only push as far as you're able to for the population that you live with. So they may not go straight for massacring a bunch of girls and throwing acid in their faces for going to school. They might save that for next year because they believe it's proper to educate people as to why you need to do that before actually doing it, whereas ISIS would just do it the next day. Sure. Uh, so there will be a period of time where the Taliban will continue its uh, image makeover that's currently doing with the help of Qatar and Al Jazeera to make it sound as if they've changed. They're the progressive wing now of radical Islam is what they're trying to make it sound like. It won't last long. Um, they'll get more and more brutal over time. Uh, so, yes, their objective is to go back to what it once was, uh, just like in 2001. Um, but there's a possibility that they might want to wait just a little bit before doing that. Which is interesting that you brought that up in terms of what Qatar and Al Jazeera making them sound like they're progressive and, and that they're moderate. Because you look at China and Russia coming out lately praising the Taliban for being inclusive. They appreciate their inclusiveness in their discussions. You also see where, uh, just I think it was the Wall Street Journal that reported at least three weeks ago that the Taliban met with Chinese diplomats there in Beijing. And they were praising each other and they saw uh, China as a legitimate 
legitimate international power and economic power, and they were glad that they were a great ally to their friend, Pakistan. And so you see all this developing right now. You see Russia, China, Iran praising the Taliban. Are you concerned that with the so-called talks of being moderate and inclusive, which we know is not going to happen, um, do you are you concerned with what China is doing or trying to negotiate, have discussions, uh, basically trying to put their hand in the pie, so to speak, with Afghanistan? Are you concerned with that? Yeah, China, for as much as they claim they're part of the communist revolution, are a bunch of uh, dirty capitalists. Uh, crony capitalists. Uh, and so what they're trying to do is enrich uh, themselves and their allies uh, by plundering the wealth of Afghanistan and anywhere else, Africa, South America, wherever they can build. Um, and of course, they would use that to fuel the communist Chinese overall communist cause. Uh, but there is certainly a selfish motive here uh, mm -hmm. for the people that claim to be righteous communists uh, spreading out the wealth. Not really. They, they see $1 trillion worth of minerals in Afghanistan, as well as the potential for pipelines uh, and potential for businesses because Afghanistan doesn't have much. Mm -hmm. So the uh, upside potential for startup businesses in Afghanistan is actually rather high. So China wants in on that. Of course, there's a military dimension to it. The reason that the Taliban is being nice to China is because the enemy of my enemy is my friend but also because they need foreign investment in order to access the wealth of Afghanistan, which the Taliban never was able to do before, even in the 90s. So you have the potential here for a Taliban on steroids, far, far worse than anything you've ever seen. And that will trickle to Al-Qaeda and the other arms of the radical Islamic octopus uh, that the Taliban is connected to. Uh, so the potential here for national security is absolutely horrific. Um, and over time, that might enable the Taliban to hold on to power, whereas right now, uh, I'm one of the few people arguing that they're incredibly weak and we still have an opportunity to change this around. Um, Russia is playing nice with the Taliban. Uh, that's been going on for a while. China has given support to the Haqqani Network, which is an Al-Qaeda affiliate and basically part of the Taliban. Pakistani intelligence, of course, is embracing them. Uh, but if this were to go on a very long time, I do think those relationships will have to fracture because the radical Islamic forces hate Russia. They, at some point, they're not going to be able to resist the opportunity to shoot up schools again in there. Uh, Iran, uh, they believe the Shiites need to be slaughtered mm -hmm. uh, anywhere that they are they control. I don't see a way for a permanent reconciliation between Iran and the Taliban when the Taliban fundamentally believes any Shiite that they govern, they need to destroy. And then Iran believes whenever that happens, they have to intervene. So there'll be a clash there. And China, again, this might take longer. Remember that radical Islamic forces believe atheists should be killed. And China has Muslims in concentration camps. It right. doesn't get worse than that. So at some point, the Muslim part of China is going to erupt and become a jihadist battlefield. China might have bought themselves some time, but it'll happen. Uh, what I would recommend is that the United States simply tell Russian, Chinese, and other companies, if you invest in the Taliban-held areas, you're not doing business with Americans, and you're not doing business in the United States. So which market do you want to choose? Well, what's interesting is that within that whole mindset, when you look at 
the interview uh, that Wall Street Journal had in terms of meeting with the head of the Taliban and then the Chinese diplomat there in Beijing about three weeks ago, the Taliban had mentioned that they want to help protect investment opportunities. So even think of a terrorist organization talking about investment opportunities and that they were excited to be working with China to enhance peace, reconciliation, and reconstruction, which made me chuckle because I'm thinking what terrorist organization is going to help bring peace and reconciliation? Right. Same thing with China. And to your point, when you look at the concentration camps there in China, no one wants to address this gross human rights violation of what they're doing to the Uyghur population. Uh, and yet... Do you think in terms of everything that we're seeing right now with China's involvement, Russia intervening as well, um, just the coalition that they've developed, to your point in telling businesses that are doing business with China and Russia, hey, you know, what market do you want to choose? Are you concerned that the United States, especially under this current administration, this current situation that we have, that our, pol that our politicians are not going to call out China, that they're not going to hold China accountable or these businesses accountable that are uh, blatantly choosing their market over U.S. market? Are you concerned that we are not going to do anything in regards to holding China accountable? I am concerned about it because unlike any other adversary in U.S. history that I can think of, uh, Communist China is so linked to the American economy. They've so bought off politicians. They have such an amazing ability to make a politician lose a campaign. Uh, they, through either directly or through businesses that depend upon Chinese business relationships, are able to offer incentives to politicians once they leave office and say, well, hey, we've got a nice job over, the, over here. And that company you know, has some nice contracts with the communist Chinese government. In terms of bribery and influencing U.S. government and basically just buying us off, I can't think of any enemy in history as like China. So I'm very concerned about that. But I do think there are some red lines um, because we've seen in the past that there is a backlash from the American population. Um, and that results in some American politicians as well uh, against this communist Chinese influence to dictate our behavior. And when you have Chinese companies start talking about uh, taking advantage of the Afghan wealth and arming the Taliban, doing things like that, I think we can stop it. I think the willpower will be there. And I think even someone who is reluctant to take on China because they have business interests there will be forced to go along with it. Uh, because it's one thing to say, stop your current business with China. That's a harder sell. But when China is talking about doing something like enriching the Taliban, that is so clearly an indirect way of killing Americans, that's easier to stop. Uh, so I have some optimism there. Um, but to your comment earlier about how ridiculous it is when the Taliban and terrorist groups say, well, we're going to bring peace, uh, we're going to restore order through our theocratic rule, it, it sounds insane to us, but for people over there, uh, they feel like, well, security is the number one issue, even above anything else. But whether you want freedom or not, it comes secondary to whether you're going to survive. Uh, so the idea of a theocratic movement saying, well, we're going to decrease crime and increase security they have the ability to deliver on that promise because they'll cut the hands off of anyone who they think is stealing and that sort of thing. So there's a certain attraction to that, but so much of their propaganda and their ideology comes down to projection. And perhaps part of the problem is, is that in the Islamic world, teaching about psychology and even what projection is, isn't really there. Like the high school students there aren't gonna even know what that means, but if they knew what that meant, 
I think they would see that when the Taliban says we need to wage war because the outside world, the Americans and heck, even the Swiss are warmongers, people would see that's projection. When they say that we need to oppress women and wage war because the West treats their women so terribly mm -hmm. and because they abuse their children when it's the Taliban radical Islamic forces that are known for abusing children, I think people would be able to see that. Uh, every single claim they make against us is something that they do themselves in a, to a much higher degree. And most of the justification for their laws are, is because of things that are actively happening that they're engaging in. For example, when the voices are, that are the loudest and you need to kill gays, when you look behind the curtain, what do you find? A lot of them are engaging in homosexual behavior. Sure. Uh, when they accuse the West of abusing children and you pull the curtain away, what do you see? Most of them are molesting children. Right. Uh, when they say we need to kill Christians and, oh, the evil West is spreading Christian our land, you pull away the curtain, what do you see? It turns out Christianity is spreading like wildfire in the areas that they rule. Mm -hmm. uh, and that dynamic, I think people need to understand uh, Americans, but also especially people overseas. Well, and you made such a great point in regards to that because you kind of see a little bit of that here in the United States in the sense of we have one political party that says that they're the party of human rights, that they are the party of women rights. And then during this whole time of what we're seeing here in Afghanistan, they've remained completely silent. They're not even talking about this egregious activity that is happening. They're not even calling out Islam. They won't even call out Islam for what it is. Uh, they are praising the inclusivity. And then they're also praising the Taliban, saying uh, that, well, the Taliban wants to bring women's rights. Well, clearly they don't know Sharia because there's not going to be women's rights there in Afghanistan. So everything that we had worked toward for the past 24 or past 20 years is just uh, gone and, and obliterated in that sense in terms of women's rights and education. Um, but leading into that, are you concerned in terms of the future of America? Because if we see all of this happening inside uh, Afghanistan, you see the propaganda coming out of China and Russia, mocking our military, mocking the U.S., uh, using it now to taunt, China's using the propaganda to taunt Taiwan and Hong Kong, saying, hey, the U.S. is not going to come and help you and save you. You see what's happening there in the U.K., where the U.K. Parliament wanted to hold President Biden in contempt, which I don't recall us ever seeing that in our history, where another <laughs> nation wants to hold a president, U.S. president in contempt. In terms of national security, so much is coming our way as a nation right now. What is your concern? What is your projection? And where do we even go from here? It's astonishing to me how national security goes away as an issue uh, consistently for about two or three years. And then all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. like, like that is the cycle if you look over our history um, since 9-11. Uh, so I feel like we're back at where... We were when ISIS came to power, uh, but this has the potential to be much, much worse. Um, and this withdrawal is much, much worse than what we saw in Iraq, because in, at least in Iraq, there was a period of about like three years or so where things were kind of holding together. You had the Kurdish forces there, the Iraqi security forces were able to hold back the terrorist threat. And uh, ISIS and then the Al-Qaeda branch in Iraq was rising for a while, and there, and there was an opportunity to react to it. Even if we didn't react to it, at least the opportunity was there. Mm -hmm. um, but in Afghanistan, it's it, it's much worse because it just the situation immediately collapsed. The American public opinion uh, in terms of interventionism uh, is much worse than it was back then. There was an appetite to go after ISIS. Here, when we talk about 
even bringing refugees into the United States, people who worked for the U.S. military, there's uh, a significant part of the population that says, oh, no, don't bring them there. They are the other. They're, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're human, but they're, they're not like us sure. because they're Afghan. Now, I totally understand that you have to increase your vetting and be skeptical and all of that. But the wholesale uh, writing off of an entire population, uh, that does disturb me, especially when I know how many of them did fight contrary to what Biden says and how many of them did sacrifice and how many of them are heroes. The average Afghan who's a little bit younger took more risk to their life in order to improve their country and really fight for progressive values comparatively uh, than the average American has. Mm -hmm. um, and so I am very disturbed about where the United States is with that. Um, but I, I guess what I'm encouraged is the backlash against Biden has been so strong on this uh, that I really did underestimate because I figured the American people were so sick of Afghanistan that a bunch of people got killed. They would just say, well, that's what they do over there. I don't really care. And that's that's not what happened. Uh, people still don't want to go in there. But when they hear uh, my proposal of saying to back the Afghan resistance, which has been much stronger and formed much more quickly than I anticipated, uh, and to set up a safe zone like we had for the Kurds in Iraq under Saddam uh, and work very well. And there's other examples. Everyone seems to like the idea. And, and I think that the, the vast majority of Republicans will go for it. Vast majority of independents will. Probably a slim majority of Democrats will go for it. Biden, I think, probably won't. Sure. But uh, the fact that that potential exists uh, is encouraging that uh, I feel like I wouldn't be running against popular opinion with that idea because it really is an anti-war idea um, because it's a viable anti-war idea. What Biden is doing right now is not an anti-war proposal because it's going to result in greater war. And guess what? If this trend continues, we're going back. Right. And the longer we wait to go back, it's going to be much more expensive and much bloodier. So yeah. I would say save the Afghan resistance right now. Let them fight the war for us. Give them a little bit of air support, minimal risk to the U.S., minimal cost, and we'll save a lot of lives. And also economically, it will cost us less because the destruction that we're going to eventually get to the world economy and the American economy from the results of the Taliban controlling Afghanistan are going to be enormous whereas this option is much more cost effective. What, as we wrap up here, my last question for you is, uh, I always like to ask our guests for a call to action for our viewers, so that way they can feel like that they are taking action and somehow making a difference. Uh, you mentioned about um, uh, your proposal in terms of helping the Afghan resistance. What can our viewers do to take action? What do you recommend? And what can they do to help you on that effort? Uh, one thing that they can do is pressure their uh, representatives, their senators, their congressmen uh, to do everything they can to get clearance for charter flights to bring people out of Afghanistan, uh, not just Americans, uh, but also our Afghan allies. I have a list of over 5,000 Afghans who have come to me begging for help and, and say that they're not going to live much longer if we don't do something. Um, and at least my part of the operation is fully is almost fully funded um, and ready to rock and roll. Uh, it's just because of bureaucratic screw ups that um, there hasn't been clearance uh, to the degree that we want. Um, pressure your congressman uh, to support extending U.S. control of that airport 
As of right now, we're being told that the U.S. is going to hand over that airport to the Taliban on the 31st as planned, which is going to be just, you think it's bad now, it's going to be a real disaster. Um, And always consider volunteering your time to assist with these efforts. Uh, You can reach out to us at the Clarion Project. Um, If you can't make a donation, but you can give an hour of your time, that's an hour that can do a lot of good and really help someone uh, get their life saved. Um, and help damage the enemy. So there's a whole series of things that people can do. And I guess my final message would be that almost everything that you want the American government can do, American civilians can do. Mm-hmm. I think vast majority of Americans don't realize that. So if you want to support the Afghan resistance, encourage your congressmen to do it on the government level. I'm happy to talk to them and make the pitch. But there will be options coming forth that we're looking at that the American people can do it on their own. That's good. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for providing us your insight, your knowledge about what is going on in Afghanistan. Thank you for your call to action. We appreciate you and we look forward to having you back on the program. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. And as I conclude here uh, on the show, uh, one point that Ryan had mentioned is that we've got to understand the ideology. And Sun Tzu had mentioned in the art of war to know your enemy. And it's time that we as Americans understand what Islam is and grasp an understanding of that, as well as China and their advanced uh, expansionism on the global front and what is happening and how it impacts here at home. So I encourage you all to educate your family and friends on that. But also, as we look at what's happening in Afghanistan, and we come together to pray for those in Afghanistan. Let's pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, the Americans and the Afghanis that had worked alongside the U.S. government, that the Lord protects them, is with them, brings them comfort and his peace, and that he gives people strategies to help them escape what is happening uh, and how he can use us to to make an impact. And then also, more importantly, uh, let's also Remember our veterans, those who had served, those who are coming home from Afghanistan. A lot of this uh, has been equated to what happened in Vietnam. And when our military came home from Vietnam, they were not welcomed in a proper way. So those who had served in Vietnam, I just want to tell you that we honor you. We respect you. Thank you for what you have done. And those who had served in the Middle East, particularly in Afghanistan, that are coming home and seeing this as a defeat, we honor you, we respect you, and we thank you for your service. And for this episode, we want to thank our sponsor, Vibrant Health MD, for supporting this episode. Vibrant Health MD is a health and wellness practice that helps you to live a healthy and whole life so that way you can live your best life. For more information, visit VibrantHealthMD.com. Take care and God bless.